Game Podcast with K and K. Today we had Okay, Kenny, seriously, wow. what is the problem? Bang. Four times to get that right, guys. Anyways, anyways, let's jump into it. Enough about us, enough that we can't even get our intro correct. Let's talk about our guests. That's who's important. Yes, yes. Not about that you're gonna mention a different podcast that we used to have. Crystal, who's on today? We had Kent Ritter. He is a syndicator and a real estate investor. And he's got a pretty cool story. He's from Indianapolis. He fired his boss. You always say that, fired the boss. I don't know. No, but it's, he's, he's, he's awesome. You know, it's, it's, it's the typical story that we're hearing more and more. Um, People there, want more time. There's a pivotal moment in your life like him. You know, you see your daughter and you get on a plane. You're traveling all over the country to make somebody else money. And then you go, what in the world am I doing? Like, I'm never going to see my kids. I'm not going to be that dad. I don't want to do that. And he decided to make a huge change. Yep. So he quit his job and uh, started investing in real estate. And honestly, I, I love his approach to investing. Um, I think he's got some very sophisticated strategies and ways that he analyzes deals. He comes from a management consulting background. So I think that's been a huge benefit to him and it just allows him to kind of look at real estate in a little bit of a different lens that I feel like is incredibly beneficial for him and probably the people who invest with him. Uh, and he just kind of had a really cool story. I think he is a guy who um, has a real purpose and he stays focused on his purpose. And I was really inspired. By it's him. like family first, um, helping educate people and then obviously building wealth and helping people make money. So um, it's a cool story. You got to go check them out. And um, I think we should just jump into it. What do you think, Crystal? Let's do it. Oh, yeah. Hey, one more time. One more thing. If you guys like this podcast, you're supposed to subscribe. Wow, you and, scared us. Hey, leave a review. One, subscribe. Check. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Do it all. Okay? Just do us that favor so we can keep bringing fabulous guests to your living room to you while you're in the shower, while you're driving in the car, whatever it is that you're doing while you're listening to us, allow us to keep doing more of that. Wow. And again, without further ado, here we go. Cool. Kent, thanks for coming on today, joining us. Welcome to uh, Getting the Cash Flow Game with K&K. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. So excited to uh, learn more about you. But before we jump in, can you kind of just give us a brief background of kind of like how you landed here today? Sure. So, uh, you know, my story starts probably best places when I graduated from, from college. I uh, came out of school, uh, went into management consulting and spent 12 years being a management consultant, which essentially what we did was we flew around the country helping companies solve problems that they couldn't solve themselves. So it was a really good background in just seeing hundreds of different businesses, how, how they operate, what works, more of what doesn't work because, you know, they didn't call us when things were going well. And uh, just give me, gave, gave me just a great kind of understanding of, of how to operate a business, you know, and, and what are the levers that you could really pull to it, to impact things. And, and also how to just run large scale, multi-million dollar projects and manage people and get everybody moving in the right direction and, and get stuff done. And so, uh, so that was kind of the foundation uh, of my, my business experience. And then in 2010, a uh, few partners and I left to start our own firm and we started our own management consulting firm. Uh, we ran that for five years, grew up from literally like five guys around a kitchen table, like your, your entrepreneur story to 95 employees and 30 million in annual revenue. 
And then wow. we sold that at the end of 2015. And that really kicked off my real estate career because I had capital from selling the business, uh, didn't have my next adventure planned. And so I, I really just took to investing, was looking for you know other ways to diversify, didn't want all my money in the stock market. Uh, and so I started looking into things, really fell in love with real estate, started just, you know, all the podcasts and books and everything that I could consume and then moved on to conferences and other things. And, and then I started investing with others. And so I really started as a passive investor, investing in other people's deals. Um, and through that, just really learned to love the process, learn, learned about real estate, which, you know, it's kind of how I look at it now it is like when I talk to people, I don't try to sell them. I just try to educate them because I feel like if you learn the same things I did about real estate, like the light bulb is going to go off and you're going to say, yeah, this is a no brainer. And so uh, from about 16 to 19, that's what I did. I, I passively invested with others and was just learning and going through a few courses, found some great mentors. And then in 2019, in October, uh, acquired my first property with a few partners. It was 250 units down in Atlanta. We syndicated the deal, raised the money. And uh, we actually just sold that property in June uh, for a really good return for our investors. So that was the first one that I had go around full cycle. And that was a, a huge milestone for us. And then in, in 2020, uh, we acquired three more properties. I actually joined up with one of my mentors companies for, for a stint, um, just as joined them as a managing director, running a line of business. Uh, they have uh, about 15,000 units across the country. So it was a great learning experience to just see how a really high level operator works in, in a big organization that, that's built to buy apartments and learn a lot of best practices. But then you know, the entrepreneur bug in me, I just couldn't let it go. And so in, in May of this year, I decided to leave uh, after about 14 months and set out on my own to build my own business, uh, build my company the way that I wanted to. And so we're, we're just rinsing and repeating the same strategy. The strategy is sound. We're acquiring apartments. Uh, we're fixing them up. And, uh, you know, then we're running them for about three to five years and, uh, and then selling them or return the money to our investors. And, yeah. And that's where I am today. We've got three deals under contract right now that we're closing on in the next 20 days. I actually closing on a property. Well, just timestamp it. It's October 7th. So we're closing on one property tomorrow. And then in the next couple of weeks, we got two more. So it's been an exciting run. Wow. That's awesome. Congrats on all your success and adventures. That's uh, it's kind of interesting because I think uh, a lot of people especially here in California, a lot of there's a, just people just around. We hear stories of lately. It's like we all, we always hear about the big exits that people get, but you don't hear about the hundred million, 50 million, 20 million, 10 million. And I was just talking to Crystal about this. Uh, we have, a, I have a bunch of people I know in Utah and there's people that took exits and they're sitting there and they're like, I got money. And I'm like, what do I do? You know? And they're like, I don't want to sit around. And um, how, how I was going to ask you, cause I think there's a lot of people that are, they're trying to retire. They have money. How did you ultimately say real estate was it? Like, what was it for you that like was the, you know, put, took you over the edge? Well, the, so the reasons I first started investing in real estate were one, just it's not correlated with the stock market. So, you know, I already had a brokerage account. I already had investments in stocks. I didn't want to continue to just pile into that. Um, and have all my eggs in one basket. So I wanted something that would allow me to diversify, right? Diversify my risk. Um, beyond that, then the things that really hit it for me was one, the cash flow component. So the ability to, uh, you know, actually have a passive income, right? And, and be able to supplement or even replace the income that I would have from any future job. 
then, you know, the appreciation, which we know is fantastic in real estate and, and is which just been going crazy over the past year. Um, and then lastly, just the tax benefits. And so that's what I mean. Like, as I learned these things and, and my eyes were open to all the benefits, it just made sense to me that, that it just seemed to outperform all the other asset classes for, for my goals and what I wanted. And um, yeah, it was just a perfect fit. And then as, as I just got involved in it, I, I kind of fell in love with the deals and that adrenaline of like a, kind of a deal junkie, you know, the adrenaline of just finding the deal and finding the property and feeling like you've got something here, like a diamond in the rough and you can turn it around and, and make something out of it and actually see that, that change and that progression, whether in the property or, or and then in the surrounding community, I, I just kind of fell in love with, with all of that. And, uh, and I think my, my skill set just, uh, kind of blended well, you know, coming from my project management experience, which is a lot of what real estate is and my people management experience. And so eventually I felt like I was enjoying it, but I was still kind of sitting on the sidelines as investors in other people's deals, right? I was talking with them, but I was still on the sidelines and finally thought, man, you know, I know as much of, as a lot of these guys I'm talking to, I should just sit out and do this on my own. And that was really kind of what, what set it off as I was uh, looking for my next adventure. That's awesome. I know I was reading and, um, I don't know if it's your website or whatever. It's, I think a lot of people, you know, you, you said you worked really hard with your other career, but this one you're working even harder, but the difference is you're really enjoying it and you're like passionate about it. So I think it's funny because I think a lot of people go in, they're like, oh, I'm just going to do this. And I think people don't realize like you start to love something and you feel like it's not a job, you know, I was going to ask you about that. No, I, you're a hundred percent right. I mean, that's, I, yeah, you're right. I mean, I am working harder now uh, than I ever did. I mean, even, even when we were building the, that consulting business, uh, because I had, we had a bunch of partners and we had kind of a good uh, separation of duties. Now it's my own business. You know, I've, I'm building out a team. I've got uh, several folks around me right now, but uh, a lot of it still rests on my shoulders today. So um, you know, there's the buck stops here as far as getting things done. So, like I said, we have like three closings in the next 20 days and, you know, there's a lot of work to do as you're coming up, coming up to close. So it's been kind of a frantic pace, but I love it. So, so I don't mind. And so, you know, if I have to, you know, my schedule is kind of, I try to shut off at five and I try to keep five to eight for the kids and for the family. But then you know, if I get to open it, the laptop up at eight o'clock and, and work a few more hours, like to me, I, it doesn't really bother me because again, I like what I'm doing. And to me, always the important thing was building my own business and working, working for myself. So I know that the extra effort I'm putting in is directly impacting me versus if you're working in a W2, you're building somebody else's dream. And, and that's where I started my career coming out of school. And, and it was a great learning experience, but at the end of the day, I, I had to get out on my own. And, and that, that's really where I found passion. I, I find passion in building things, you know, building companies, seeing these properties grow and, and improve. And that that's really where my passion lies. Yeah, it definitely seems like your management consulting business is almost something everyone should do because it's almost better than a college education in terms of learning how companies really operate and what things are working and not working and, you know, how trends work and, and all that kind of stuff. So it seems like it's been a really good parallel into real estate because, I tell people all the time that real estate's not necessarily a, a tough job and it's not like nobody can do it. It's just really managing tasks. Um, yeah. So in term, yeah, go ahead. Well, go ahead. Exactly. I mean, I, I just tell people all the time, real estate's about solving problems. Like if you, if you can figure out creative solutions, you can solve problems. You can make a lot of money in real estate. 
Um, it, it's definitely not like, like, I think some people try to gloss over and, and make, make it look like, Oh, it's always sunshine and rainbows and all this. And it's like, <laughs> that's actually the exact opposite. Like, like real estate is all about putting out little fires all the time. And, but if you can do that effectively and, and if you can delegate and have others do that and uh, then, you know, you can, you, you can get to the finish line and there, there's a lot of money to be had no matter what strategy you're doing, but, but it's definitely not all sunshine and rainbows. I mean, there's definitely a lot of, uh, it's like the highest highs and the lowest lows, you know, and you got to be able to manage in between and, and kind of stay in the middle uh, and not get too high and not get too low. And if you can do that and you, and you can work things through with people and figure out creative solutions, then, then yeah, there's a lot of money to be made. And you're right. I mean, I think each, each property is kind of its own little business with its own accounting and its own problems and its own work that needs to be done. Yeah. On everything. That's how I look at them. Honestly. I mean, I look at these apartment buildings as cash flowing businesses. You know, when, when I, when I speak to investors, I say, look, this business has been here, you know, for 40, 30, 40, 50 years cash flowing, right? It, it's, uh, and we're just trying to help it make a little more money. I mean, my strategy isn't distressed properties and things like that. So it's really taking a property, you know, from here to here, but, um, but it's a relatively safe investment in that the business has been here for 30 years. It's not going to just disappear, right? Or it's, it's not like a stock where 40% of the value could disappear overnight because something happens, right? I mean, Facebook just had an outage, right? They were, you know, the whole thing was down for <laughs> for six hours, but but it seemed like months, right? People, people yeah. totally freaked out. Um, you know, that's not going to happen with your apartment building. So, so I think like, like, I think thinking about it like a business is helpful. I try to, I try to tell investors that because I think a lot of my investors, especially newer investors, have this perceived risk of real estate because they said, oh, they don't really know about it. They're like, oh, real estate's risky. You know, most people know an uncle or somebody that like had a had yeah. a flip go bad or had like a rental that didn't work out, you know, and so you have to get over those hurdles with folks. I mean, a lot of times it can be helping others get over their limiting beliefs uh, to be able to kind of help them help themselves and get into the, get into an investment that can give them, you know, two, two, three X what the stock market can. So it's uh yeah, I find that looking at it like a business is kind of the whole thing can be helpful. It's so true because I actually think that in in kind of what we discuss with people is that, you know, buying apartments may not give you the best return you can get out there, but I actually think it's the safest return. I mean, it's tangible. Like there's always going to be value in your land and the building. And l like you said, it's not the stock market. It can't just disappear overnight. I mean, I think it's probably the safest move. It's not the get rich quick Scheme. It's not the, you know, Bitcoin that's going to go crazy overnight and you're going to become a billionaire, but it's like very uh, steady, you know, she goes, steady yeah. cash flow, very predictable, very like, yeah, it's very steady. So I try to talk to people about uh, the concept of a risk adjusted return. And what I mean by a risk-adjusted return, I mean, is how likely is it you're going to get that return, right? Because I could go out and I could I could invest in startups, you know, and take flyers on a few companies, and um, you know, in that situation, you're 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 either going to get nothing, or you might go 10x or 100x, right? But but the likelihood that, that happens is very small. I mean, nine times out of ten, it's going to go to zero. Um, but that's very different, like than an apartment, right? Which it may not be 10x, you know, your return might be 2x or 3x, but the likelihood that that return happens is very high. 
Right. And so I think, I think that's the difference. So I think people often look at the big shiny number, uh, but they don't think about, you know, what's the downside risk, right? Like what's the downside, what could happen? Like, I mean, on, on a lot of our apartments, I mean, you would have to lose 30 or 40% of the occupancy, uh, to not be able to make the mortgage payment. I mean, in, in a lot of them, you could be at 70% occupancy and still, still make your mortgage payment, you know? And if you can make your mortgage payment, you can live the fight another day. So, I mean, in, in that environment, if we were ever in an environment like that, I try to get, th- have people think about like, think about what else would be happening if that would happen. I mean, we're probably in a recession. The stock market's probably down 40 or 50%, right? And if, if you're still, if you're still holding on the property, maybe you're making a, Heck, maybe it's a three or 5% return, but against a, a negative 20 or 40 in the stock market, like that feels pretty good at that point. So, you know, when you yeah. think about downside risk, uh, it is fairly limited in apartments. And that's one of the reasons I, I like it as well. I mean, you're right. It's not get rich quick, but it's, uh, it's get rich for sure. Right? Yeah, exactly. I, I, was, I was hoping you're going to say that. <laughs> grants. Yeah, it's great. It's, it's a good one. And it's true. Yeah. And you know, another, a lot of people too is, um, you know, we know a lot of people like you, they've, you know, they have a business that kicks off cash flow. Then they've realized a lot of times they went into real estate because their CPA is like, Hey, you got a tax problem here. You need to go figure something out. And so they're, they look around next thing you know, what do you know? They end up, I'm buying in syndications, I'm buying real estate. And then they do the cost seg and wipe the income. And some of them just go, well, we're going to go full-time into my business and full-time real estate. And a lot of people forget, it's like you're making a 5 7 8% return, but if you're doing the cost seg and you're eliminating a pretty significant tax bill. That's a huge return too. And nobody factors that in because with the other stuff, it's not there. So, I mean, and I do, I, I was going to say, I really, I haven't really heard that where somebody's like, when you're buying a building, you're buying an existing business that's been there 40, 50, 60, 20 years. It's really true. It's like, it's been running. It's not falling over. It's, 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 I've never really looked at it like that way or heard somebody say that. So that's a cool little, uh, I don't know, take on the, your view. Um, um well, good. I'm glad. Uh, yeah. I've really heard that. I like that. Yeah. I, love yeah, it. I like that. Um, so switching gears. So you go from like W2, start your business, takes an exit. You, I think the good thing is you got to take, you get to take your time to figure out where you want to go. You land in real estate. And so somebody's sitting here going, well, this is great, but how do you know what market to go into? Like how, so when you're there, like, how do you just go, I'm going to start getting started. I'm going to go here and buy stuff. How does that happen? You know, it's like, and it's, uh, for, for me, it was a long process of education and, and research. You know, like I said, I, I went from like 2016 to 2019 before I felt like I, I had the knowledge to, to go out and not only invest, but, but invest with other people's money. And, Cause I, I take that very seriously. You know, I, I didn't want to, um, I wanted to be fully confident. I knew exactly what I was doing. And not only did I know what I was doing, but I had the mentors and kind of, safety net in place to make sure that that we were going to be successful you know so so for me it was a long process of education and learning and putting the right infrastructure in place but but when you when you talk about specific markets you know the things that i look for uh first and foremost are is job growth i mean job job growth is most core most closely correlated uh to rent growth more closely correlated than, than anything else it's almost kind of one-to-one so you got to look for job growth 
um, in the area. I mean, you want to look for general population growth, but, but if, if, you know, if jobs are growing, population is going to grow, um, you know, thing, and then you want to make sure. So that's kind of, when you look at the market, that's really what I'm looking for. Like are people moving there and are there good jobs there? Right. That's, that's where it starts. And then as you get down into like, okay, now what like neighborhood of that city, do you want to be in? It starts, you start to look at things like, you know, like, like what are, what are, home values? What does crime look like? You know, how, how close are we to a major interstate? Uh, what are schools look like, you know, and, um, and then what are the demographics in that area? Like we, we run a lot of demographic analysis where, where we know, okay, you know, 60% of the people in this area are in their, their twenties to thirties. Uh, they make this amount of income. And so we know they're like, that's like a prime renter class versus, you know, over here, well, people are in their you know, fifties and sixties and they're, they're retired on fixed income. And, you know, it's, it's a different story. So I think understanding those, those aspects of it, and, and then you get down to the individual property and you say, and you should only look at the property once you know you're in the right market and you're in the right submarket. And then you say, okay, well, do, do I like this property, right? Is it the right age? Is it the right style? Um, does it fit the goals for me? You know, is it cash flowing? Is it not cash flowing? Right. Cause those are two very different models. And, uh, and then, and then is there, and then you got to kind of, you got to, you know, that's the science piece. And then the art of it is you got to kind of be able to say, okay, can I see the vision for what this can become? And, and do I see the area, the vision for what the area can become? And do I believe in that? You know, like, are you in the path of progress? And is that area going to continue to improve? Because you, you can't change, uh, you can improve the property, but uh, it's really difficult to, to change the area around it. So yeah. almost impossible. Yeah. Very true. And sometimes you just have to wait a really long time and hope it changes. Yeah. Heck, you know, you might be 10 years early in an area that's going to gentrify. It's just, that'd be a tough 10 years. Right. Yeah, exactly. Sure. So where are you getting a lot of your data? Cause I think that's one of the biggest things too, when we talk to real estate investors who are getting this data and doing this analysis, but if you're a new person coming in, you're like, where do I even get job data, for example? Yeah, good question. I mean, a lot of a lot of it's available free. I mean, you just if you just start googling, like Google Atlanta job growth, you know, right, and you'll right. five, six, ten articles will pop up talking about it. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, like you can look at uh, in migration trends. Um, actually, one of the best places to look at that are actually moving companies. Moving companies will put out statistics. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. on who's moving where, you know, from where and all that. And so, yeah, you just, you just have to be creative, but none of, none of it is that hard to find. I mean, now with Google, you can find just about everything. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the next level up is you start to pay for, for companies that aggregate all that data and put it together. But, but frankly, it's all quite expensive. None of it's cheap. That's for sure. Like CoStar and some of those companies, it's, that's why the big companies have it. <laughs> that, that's right. And, and it makes it, it makes it easier, but at the same time, um, at the same time, even when I've worked at, for big companies that had CoStar, I mean, it's, there's just something to like, just going to apartments.com and seeing the property and seeing what's listed and seeing what's around it, what it's going for. And then actually calling the property and talking with them and, and asking them, you know, what kind of vacancies do you, do you have? And, you know, what are rents and things like that? Like, I think you still have to do that, that level of research to really know what you're getting into. Yeah, you know, because it is hard. I mean, I think we also like to verify the information because it's great to 
that it's on a report, but some of it's marketing. So you almost have to, like you said, boots on the ground, like make the phone calls, talk to locals, get things, you know, questions answered and all that. And nothing's better than that's one of our, our kind of little tips we do too. Cause especially if you're buying smaller buildings and there's not as many comps out there, it's so much easier to just figure out the management companies in the area or call the buildings all around you. And most people are pretty forthcoming with information. Yeah, uh, that's my experience too. I, I was actually, when I first started, uh, I, got, I remember one of my first ones, I, I went out to North Carolina, I was looking at a property and, and I was like, well, I'm out here. So I'm just going to go up to some of the comps and, and see if somebody will talk to me. And, and, and I, I was nervous. I was like, nobody's going to talk to me. And I, I just walked out. I didn't try to act like I was, I was going to buy an apartment or anything or, or rent. Uh, I was just like, hey, I'm an investor in the area. I wanted to learn about it. And they like spilled the beans on the whole, not just their property, but all the surrounding properties in the town and everything else. Like it, it was the best. I got all the inside info. So I think you're right. People, you'd be surprised how forthcoming folks are with information if you just ask every everybody i think we all like to for example when you're online and um there's these quizzes like everybody wants to do the quiz or everybody wants to give their opinion hey what do you think about this what's your experience with that people love to give their opinions on everything so it it, it has worked out very well <laughs> oh yeah spilling the beans oh yeah <gasps> sometimes you get the motor mouth yeah. so how are you um i mean i think the big the big challenge for people too is you know, you live in Indianapolis, you're looking into other states, right? And just even in your backyard, as most people know, it's hard to find deals. And now you got to go out of state, you got to find deals. How are you finding most of your deals? Is it through relationships or, you know, how's that working out for you guys? Yeah. So it, it, it's all about relationships. It, it is. It, it's whether you're going direct to seller, which we've done, or you're working with brokers, which, which was primarily what, what we do. It, it's still about relationships. You know, you're building, you need to build, build long-term relationships with these folks. And it, it's the people, it's just like anything else, you know, it's just, uh, like it's not complicated. It's just, most people don't do it. And you just have to take the time to, to get to know people and, uh, and show them that you're serious and, and show up and be professional. Don't waste their time. And, and over time, you'll build that relationship and they'll start to trust you. And then you start to do some deals and momentum really grows. I mean, the first deal in any market is the hardest. Once you do that, get that first deal done, you'll be surprised and stuff starts coming to you. Um, but, but yeah, when you, it's difficult to go out of, like, out of market. You know, primarily I just look in Indiana, Ohio, and Kentucky now because I like to be able to drive to the properties. Now, so I look for in things about three and a half hours from Indianapolis, primarily. Um, other places, if I'm going to go somewhere else, I've got to have a partner that's boots on the ground. Like the Atlanta situation, I had a partner in Atlanta who was boots on the ground, who knew the market well and had and had relationships. Um, I wouldn't personally just go to a market where I didn't have a partner there that I could trust and, and start investing. I just, because it's just really difficult to, to, I, I mean, you just have to think about it. Like it may sound good on paper, but like to practically think about, like, you got to get on a plane, you got to fly there. You got to do all this. Like how many times are you really going to visit that property, you know, versus one you can just drive to, like I can drive by on the way home and, and check it out and make sure everything's okay. So um, I think it's really difficult to hold property managers accountable from far off and, and you 100% have to hold your property managers accountable. And so, I mean, that's, that's like one of the secret sauces to this is you just, you got to hold your property manager accountable. You can't just, just trust. You can trust, but you got to verify and verify frequently, especially I think early in the relationship. 
Well, nobody's going to care about your business as much as you care about your business. So, <laughs> yeah. So you are, so you are kind of staying more focused than closer to home where you can drive to. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just a, you know, some of it is just, just bringing focus to the business too. Right. And, and, and what I've, it's also a conscious strategy in that, you know, if, if you go to markets like just anywhere in the Southeast or, or anywhere like uh, Arizona, Nevada, right? I mean, those markets are saturated with syndicators like me. Every uh, program that's kind of cranking out, you know, folks that are doing syndication are really focusing on those markets like Florida, Georgia, Texas, Arizona. You know, people are starting to go to Boise now. Um, and so it's just saturated. So it's not uncommon to have 20, 30 people bidding on a property. And in, in that environment, it's really difficult to pay the right price. And you truly do make your money when you buy. If you, if you buy, if you pay too much, then it's a, it's a game of catch up the whole time. And, and that's no fun. Uh, so I'm able to offer something different, right? The Midwest is not as saturated. And, and for my investors who are largely investing also with these other people, it allows them to be geographically diversified, right? You can, okay, you're oversaturated in Dallas, right? In Phoenix, but you don't have anything in the Midwest, which is largely more steady and, and just has consistent gains and returns. So I, I'm able to offer that. So that's why I've consciously focused on the Midwest and, and developing a portfolio in the Midwest and just really focusing on owning my backyard and building really strong relationships. Yeah, that's smart. I mean, yeah, it is kind of interesting because uh, we do just like, I know you have a podcast um, and then we talk with a lot of syndicators and know them. It's like, it is those markets are focused on. And we went to, you know, we're here in San Diego and it's funny. We are just talking to a buddy of mine this morning. I'm like, everybody's scared of California. Like there's not a lot of people coming here. Everybody we know, they're like, oh, California's not even on our list. So actually the competition here is just like amongst ourselves. And, um, but we went to Texas and Florida and you're like, oh my gosh, there's this people from all the country out of the country. And this, it's like, holy smokes. The competition is like a completely different level. It's like mine. You said 30 offers. We don't, we don't have that situation for us. Maybe if there's eight offers, you know, you're, you're up against that's, that's a lot for us. So, yeah. So when we went there and we're seeing this, we're like, this is crazy. So I was going to ask you about that. Like, you know, what is your kind of thoughts like? Because, you know, you've got the Floridas, the Atlantas, the Texas, the Arizonas, and this is like, it's primarily just getting saturated by syndicators. And, you know, people are just like, they're buying that property off this syndicator. It's going up and up. It's like they're almost creating value within their own market. Um, is that kind of like you're just kind of like staring away or do you see like issues with that going down the road? Like, like you said, you're chasing to come up. Like it could be an issue, right? Yeah. I mean, there's, so, so there's definitely, I mean, I don't know if it's artificial inflation, but there's accelerated inflation because of, you know, the syndication model, which is like, you know, sell every three to five years or so. Right. And, and, and as folks just trade among these, amongst each other, um, it just, go, it just uh, go, does go up and up and up and up. Right. And it becomes harder to cash flow, Right. I mean, if it, it becomes more about the appreciation, the investment becomes really how much is it going to appreciate because your cash flow goes down and down as you enter the you know three and a half cap level, which is a lot of where these markets are now. And so um, it, it just I think it changes the the profile of, of the investment and it does increase 
the risk because it's less about the cash flow that you're generating from operations and more about what you can sell it for on the other side and having to sell it for a certain price that is probably higher than anything's ever sold in that market before. So, so in some ways, I do think that it becomes riskier. Um, but just even, so I think the syndicator, it'd be interesting to see like how much of it is driven by, by syndicators. Yeah. Because I, I think in large part, really the price inflation is driven by uh, the large institutions that are moving billions of dollars and, and, and honestly have billions of dollars sitting on the sidelines because so much money has been printed and available and, and given by the government over the past you know, 12 months, 18 months, right? It's, it's something, I saw some stat, it's like 37% of the money in circulation is created in the past yeah. like 18 months. And yeah. I mean, I may be slightly off, but I'm like, it's 40%. Yeah, I think it's worse. Yeah, it's crazy. So it's wild, right? So so the, the real market movers are the billion dollar firms that will take a 4% return on their billion dollars because they just need to deploy capital. Exactly. You know, exactly. And those are the ones that can come in and buy a three cap and be happy about it, right? And so, so I think that's more moving the market and, and increasing prices uh, probably than anything else. I mean, also just compounding that money is so cheap, right? Interest rates are so low and are going to be low for the foreseeable future. So money's cheap and also just readily available. And a lot of, a lot of these big firms are just sitting on piles of cash. Yeah. It's interesting. We, so we've been in Texas, we were around syndication group, and then we went to Florida. We were living in Miami for a month with our family and stuff. And Crystal and I went and drove like more of like mid to Southern Florida, all the markets, talk to brokers it's kind of funny because, you know, we just said we're coming from California and they know kind of how this market is. So they said, yeah, what's interesting is five, six, seven years ago, people came here for cash flow. It made a little more sense. Now I feel like we're hearing this. It's like people are like, I feel like we're becoming California. It's like it's more about appreciation buys. And they're like, it's kind of scary. And they were just saying even the debt, like people that like we're in this group, the debt that was going around five, seven years ago the bridge loans were 10% of the market and now it's 80% of the market just bridge loans. So you just see all this and you're like, wow. And then, you know, you look at all the money printing and the low rates. It's, it's just crazy. And, and I think Grant Cardone said it best. He's like, you know, five years ago or so a lot of, I don't know whether it's the Grant Cardone's or all these, you know, the podcasts and the books and everything, but a lot of people had entered the market to buy real estate, the cash flowing real estate, like apartments, not just in, you know, international here. And so there's just so much money in the space. It's insane, you know? And so, um, you know, I don't know. It's just really interesting when you sit back and look at all of it. I mean, it's cool. Cause like you're in Indianapolis and you, in your backyard, you're like the competition just really isn't here. Like if I just went to other States, it's just, there's just a different opportunity. Well, it didn't make the top 10 on CoStar of like top markets <laughs> yeah. to invest in or whatever, because that's what everybody's going after. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> but it is started. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, the, the word is out on it. I mean, Indianapolis is moving in the same direction. I mean, we have deals that are trading in four and a quarter cap range. Um, wow, so, wow. you know, it's, it's moving it, cap rates are compressing everywhere. And so I think one of the most difficult things for, for folks that are trying to wrap their head around is, you know, if you think about underwriting a property and you think about, you know, uh, what, it, what are you going to buy it for, but what are you going to then sell it for? And a lot of people 
uh, we'll figure that out based on what their cap rate, right? Their, their exit cap rate. Well, traditionally you've, you've underwritten this exit cap rate that's gonna increase every year that you hold the property. Well, when's the last time that actually happened? I, I don't know. I mean, it's been probably eight or 10 years. Um, and so I, I think it's just, I think that's part of the rub of, of like trying to find good deals these days and, and trying to manage, manage expectations because, you know, if you're still doing that and that's still what your investors expect to see, you're not going to win a lot of deals because it, it just hasn't happened. And, and, and I don't think it's going to happen for a while. I mean, I think cap rates are going to continue to compress. I mean, the money's not going anywhere. There's nowhere for it to go. There's no return in, in fixed income like bonds because interest rates are so low. The stock market is, is kind of all over the place and up and down. And, and I'm not a person that's hundred percent real estate. I, I think you should be well diversified. You know, I, I've got stocks, I've got crypto, I've got real estate, all kinds of stuff, but um, you know, but there's a place for real estate and most people have zero real estate. And the other thing I, I tell a lot of investors is, you know, the, the richest people in the world, their like typical allocation of real estate is somewhere like 20 to 40%. Like, so if it works for them, you know, don't you think it might work for you? And most people, yeah. you ask them what their real estate allocation is, and they say, well, zero. And I say, well, you know, maybe you should think about that. If it's working for the billionaires, it might work for you too. Yeah. On that note, I was, cause I was reading a little about you. I mean, it seems like one of your passions, obviously you said is education. And I think that's for us too, is that's why we did the podcast. Cause um, we do financing residential commercial. So we deal with a lot of people that are just getting into real estate. They're going to buy a one unit, four unit apartment building, whatever. And so I know that seems like a passion for you is you're educating a lot of people that they could be a doctor, attorney, lawyer, whatever they're doing, they're making money. And they're like, I got money in the stock market, but they're realizing I got to diversify. Um, how like, what does that conversation look like when you're talking to somebody that's kind of like not in real estate, that's heard about it, whether it's good or bad? Um, how are you kind of going about educating people these days? Yeah, well, I think it starts with just understanding their goals because everybody's goals are different, right? And so understanding what their goals are, um, you know, are they looking for, are they looking for cash flow because they want to leave their job because they don't like it? You know, do, do they like their job uh, and, and they're going to stay there? They just got extra money to put away. Are they looking at retirement and they want cash flow for that reason? Um, or, or are they seeking appreciation, right? So it's kind of understanding what their goals are first. And then I just, you know, I, for me, it's like the way I think about it is once I really learned about all the benefits of real estate, I, like I said, like a light bulb went off for me and I was like, oh, this is a no brainer. Um, and so I just feel that if I educate people in the same way, like the light bulb will go off for other people and, and they'll, they'll be able to see uh, that it makes a lot of sense. And, and in that way, you don't have to do a hard sell or anything. So, so my conversations really a lot is about just educating people and trying to open people up to the idea that you can invest in real estate because most people don't even know that you can invest in a, in a syndication, right. With somebody or, or right. in someone else's deal. I mean, I didn't know that until probably 2015 or 16. And, and I fancied myself a pretty savvy investor uh, who had done a lot of investing and was wow. a finance major in college and even focused on investing as a, as a kind of, you know, specialty, but wow. all they taught us was like stocks and mutual funds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's really just about education. Uh, it's about understanding their goals and then just trying to answer as many questions as I, as I can for them. 
uh, to try to help them just be comfortable because it's a big leap, right? It, it's a big leap to make that first investment and not, not know like exactly what's going to happen and not know exactly where your money goes, right? Because they, you really don't understand the process. And so trying to help people just overcome those, uh, those initial concerns. And, and I, what I find is once people, they get in their first deal, especially they start to get the cash flow coming in, then they really start to understand it, you know, and then their investment starts to accelerate. And then, and so I just view it as, you know, if I can educate people in the right way and, and I can be a resource for them, then, um, you know, when, when they decide to invest, you know, uh, hopefully I'll, I'll be in the consideration. And that's kind of how I approach the podcast and everything. Like we, we don't sell anything. It's just all about, I didn't have a great resource when I started like a one, like a, a one-stop shop to go to. And so my podcast is really just all about focusing on passive investors and trying to help them make better investing decisions and talking to the pros to learn how they look at things so that my investors can look at things in the same way. What's your, um, when you look back now, I mean, you started educating yourself in 16 and 19, we're in, you know, we're getting to Q4 of 2021. When you look back now, what's probably some of your biggest like lessons you've learned just by going through this whole experience from selling the business to getting the real estate to where you are now, like that, um, if somebody was going to go through it, that, you know, they might be like, you know, what, what is, what does that ride look like? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, one, one big lesson that, that I learned, uh, over the past couple of years, and, and this was huge with getting my podcast off the ground is just like done is better than perfect. And, and you, you got to just get started and, and you need to improve, just get started and improve through iteration, right? Like improve through doing and, and just constantly be improving. But, but if you, if you wait to get started until it's perfect, like you're never going to launch. And so like, for me, that was, that was a big thing. You know, I, I heard who was uh, Billy Keels. Uh, so I, I, I was interviewing somebody, I think he said he's a recovering perfectionist. And, and I feel, <laughs> uh, I feel similar in, in that way that, you know, you've got to uh, kind of let that stuff go and just trust that, you know, um, you're going to put it out there and you're, you're your biggest critic. So, so that, that's a huge lesson. Just get started, whatever you're doing, just get started. Um, you know, beyond that, like, as far as real estate, what I tell people now, if I were to start over, like if I were to not do the consulting business and all that, and I, I was just like in my twenties and I wanted to get into real estate, uh, or I didn't have three kids and commitments, I would house hack, I would buy a duplex, I'd live in half of it, you know, get somebody to pay my mortgage for me, learn how to learn how to manage a property, take care of a property, uh, and just rinse and repeat, right? And do that for like five years until you've got 10 units, you've got a good base of income. And then it gives you a great platform to do whatever else you want to do. Um, and so that that's where I would tell people to start. That's great a good advice. start. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think, I think, I think some people just, they overthink it. Like you said, our, our mentor always said is get in the game, just get in the game, get in the game, get in the game, get in the game. When you get in the game, come talk to me because the conversation is going to change. Now we're in the game and it's like completely different. So I like that. And I think starting small is huge for people because you can do the FHA and thing, you know, live in it. And like I tell people, if you're willing to sacrifice, like you said, for five years when you're young, it's amazing if you just do that and rinse, repeat how far ahead you can be. It's, it's just amazing to have that foundation and base, not just like think even the income or the equity, but the knowledge, the PhD and property management and the clogged toilets and this the slab leak or whatever it is, right? Like you just, you just learn it all. Um, 
There's so much to learn in every aspect of real estate. Like, I mean, I'm constantly learning something every day. Like the, this deal I just went through, I learned more about title work than, than I had what I ever want to know but because, <laughs> because, because we had to go, we had to go through some issues and we had to solve them. Uh, but you learn something new on every deal. Absolutely. That's yeah. part of the fun. Yeah. yeah. This, this business keeps you on your toes, right? Always. Like it's, it's, it's always like, we've been doing stuff for 17 years. I tell people, I'm like, trust me every day. It's like, well, never thought about that. That just happened. You know, it's, um, yeah. What do you, yeah, For sure. I was going to ask you too, because it seems like you're a student, which is cool. And you had some really great mentors around you. What are some of the biggest takeaways or lessons from your mentors that you're, that you either learning today or some philosophies they've given you that are going to stick with you throughout your investment career? Yeah, that's a really good question. I've, I've not been asked that before, but that's a really good question. Um, so, so Joe Fairless has been a mentor of mine uh, for a while, and, and he is just very good at keeping it simple. I mean, I, I, the way my mind works is I will be like 30 steps down the path before we even know if step one is like really going to happen. And so um, so sometimes like he's been great with me at just being like, just get to step one and then we'll, we'll worry about all that other stuff when it comes. And so I think that like, like there, there's a really, I don't, I'm going to butcher. There's a really good quote of like, uh, you know, you, uh, how the hell I, I'm going to butcher it's something about taking, you know, you, you're on this path and, you, and it's all foggy and, and, and you can't. John Maxwell, John, John, John Maxwell, the car of a light only shines 300 feet ahead, but if you're going two miles, you can't see around the bend. That's we one of love, my favorite quotes. We love yeah. that quote. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I butchered it too. Concept is important. That like, don't worry about all the stuff you can't control. That like is like three degrees away from you even like doing this first step, right? Because if you do that, you're just going to get overwhelmed, and you got to just focus on one problem at a time and focus on what's right in front of you and. So Joe's been great uh, at that for me. Um, you know, otherwise, other other good lessons I think are just like like there's so many ways to do things, uh, so many ways to get creative with financing, with deal structures. With I mean, I've just I've learned a ton from the mentors around me on, on just like if you think you you may only read about okay, this is like the one way to do it, but like there's just so many ways to get deals done and you just have to be open-minded and creative. And I think that's another really good lesson. And that was a great experience of, of like going and working for my other mentors firm, the private equity company, and just seeing how they put deals together and how they finance things and how they partner and do JVs and work with private equity firms and, and the different sources of capital that they bring in and just how creative you can get with different things. And it was really eye-opening. It's not just, you know, Fannie, Freddie, you know, put down a down payment, that kind of thing. There's so many options out there. That's part of the thing. One of the things I love the most about real estate too, is there's just so many different ways to be successful. Like when people, every, everybody has their own opinion, right? Like I, I'll only buy real estate that I would live in, or I would never look at it that way. Or, you know, that everybody has these different philosophies of buying distressed properties, of flipping properties, of buy and hold, like all these different things. And, and, you know, when people ask our opinion, it's like every single person that you've talked to about these strategies, there's many, many people doing that successfully. So you just have to pick what's right for you, which is the beautiful thing in real estate. You can do what you love the way you love doing it and do really well. And it could be different than other people. 
That's right. And I think that's important with, uh, with geographies too, because there there's deals to be had in, in all 50 States. You, yeah. you could find yeah. there's good deals and good markets in all 50 States. You don't just have to focus on the 10 that hit the top co-star report. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, sure. totally. Um, before I ask the last, last two questions, um, Kent, where's the best place people can find you, learn more about you, check out your podcast, all that stuff. Yeah. Just kentritter.com is the best place. That's my home base. You can access my blog, my podcast, uh, other videos we've done. Uh, and, and it's really just, just like everything I, I've tried to do. It's set up to be a resource for investors. There's some, you know, terminology and FAQs on there, especially like for new investors about getting into a syndication that can be really helpful. So that's the best spot. Um, first question, what's, what keeps you up night in your business? What keeps me up at night? Yeah, with your business, yeah. Oh well, there's. <laughs> I guess the a main lot of one. things. <laughs> uh, honestly, it's uh, you know, at, at the end of the day, it, it, it's all about. I mean, it's all about are we gonna are we gonna get the return? You know, for the investors, am I gonna live up to live up to the the promises that we've made and and make sure that we you know. Are we just are we covering all of our bases and and there's there's because there's so many moving parts um, and so many things that that can go awry if you're if you're not on top of them and so um, you know I think that that, that that's that's it it's kind of managing the the risk of it all and and making sure that uh, you know at the end of the day uh, the investors are satisfied uh, but we've also you know created a, a good experience is kind of what I've really been thinking about a lot lately. Yeah. Basically don't lose money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How do you, how do you communicate, right? How do you engage them? Are, are you, are we educating them? Are we bringing them along in the process? Are we making them better investors who, who will be ultimately better partners, right? Because I mean, the more, the more educated the, the investors are, I, th I think the better partners they become. You know? sure. and so, so I've been thinking a lot lately about, how are we doing that? And how are, how are we engaging with them? And how are we building that out? Uh, you know, among, among our brand. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's smart. Cause, uh, we, sometimes I learned from, um, a, a mastermind, a part of somebody was like, uh, I invest with people that I like. Cause sometimes I might just throw 50 grand or hundred grand because I want to see how they do business. And I think they're really good. And I get to learn how they communicate, how they handle things, how they deal with problems. And they're like, I think this guy's great, but if I'm close and I invest, I get to get closer and I get to learn from that person that might be a big syndicator, smaller, just really good at what they do. And I, I never really thought about that, but they're like, you know, maybe 50, hundred grand is not a big deal, but if you can learn a lot going through the process with them and make money, it's kind of a cool thing. So, yeah, so. yeah I mean, that, that was really how I started. That was exactly what I did at the, at the beginning. Yeah, just give money to the best and learn, right? Like just, yeah. Um, the last question always is, what's what's your definition of generational wealth? Man, uh, for me, <laughs> you know, what would really excite me, honestly, is if I, I can build a business that lasts that my kids can become a part of. I think, I think that would be a lot of fun. Uh, to be able to be able to work with them, uh, you know, I don't know if they'll all be interested or if any of them be interested in real estate, but uh, 
but if they are, uh, you know, I think that would be just a, a ton of fun experience. Yeah, we have a lot of, um, so Crystal does primarily apartments here, uh, financing in, you know, San Diego, California. And so we know a lot of mom, pa, we call them that, but own thousands of units, hundreds, whatever. And it's funny because we've known them for 10 years, 17 years. Crystal's done them for a long time and she's seen their kids grow up. And some of the kids like, oh, I'm not going to be a part of this. This is a dumb business. And they go off and try something. They come back. They're like, wow, it's really hard out there. And uh, <laughs> so what's, so what's up with this real estate business? Like, what, what can I do here? You know? And it's like, and like, you know, they got them out there starting low, but it's, if we've watched a lot of kids try to go do other things and now come back and they're like, damn, my dad really built something here. Like this, this is really cool. Like, yeah, this is what I want to do. That other thing seemed cool, but, and it's funny if a lot of them have like went somewhere, come back. So there might be hope for us all. <laughs> well, well, Kent, appreciate the time. Um, congrats on all your success. I think, I think it's cool. I all, I love this story as, uh, you fired your W2 boss, built a business, took an exit. Now you're in real estate. I think it's awesome because I think real estate for a lot of people could be a side hustle. It could be a passive or somebody can be like, I'm just sick and tired of this W2 job. And I think I'm really good at doing something else. They don't know what it is. And we've got to meet a lot of people just through your podcasts and just knowing people that went out and built a business, you know, of raising money and buying apartment buildings or whatever it is. And that is their job. And it's, it's cool to see people that's their passion and that's what they love to do. So they, they enjoy getting up and going to work every day and, you know, grinding it out. Yeah. I mean, at the, at the end of the day, like my, my, uh, I guess idealistic view is if more people can do what they love instead of doing what they have to do and, and, and do what they love by having financial freedom, right. Through, through investments, then the world ultimately would be a better place if people are just happier, right. If less, if less people are going, going to jobs that piss them off. I mean, I think at the end of the day, it'll be a happier place. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. A lot of people need to retire from the DMV. That's for sure. Then. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, <kidding. laughs> well, cool. Hey, thanks for the time. Nice meeting you. And, uh, I, uh, I wish you all the success and luck. Yeah. Thanks guys. I appreciate thanks, you having thanks. me on. Okay. Have a good day. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.